Welcome to Lost in the Supermarket. My guest today is Hanukkah Faber, the global president of the nutrition business group at Unilever, with sales of over $13 billion and sells in more than 150 countries. She's also a member of the Unilever Leadership Executive Committee. She's been recognized by Fortune Magazine as one of the most influential international women in business. Hanika, welcome to Lost in the Supermarket. Thank you so much, Phil. Delighted to be here. Talk to us a little bit about the evolving balance um, that you've seen between retail and the purchase of foods for home preparation, delivery, eating out, and how Unilever has adapted with these changes uh, that we've seen over the past two or three years during the pandemic? Yeah, great question. So I think the great news overall is that the food market is in is in good shape around the world. So um, it's growing robustly, and we think it will continue to grow robustly for many years to come, um, driven fundamentally by population growth. Um, and then within that, um, you know, now post a pandemic, we think eating out is going to grow ahead of eating in. Um, eating in, obviously eating at home, saw a nice boost from COVID when we all, you know, relearned how to cook at home. Um, but the demographics are just in favor of away from home eating. Um, around the world, there's urbanization. People are moving to cities. Um, about 55% of people lived in cities in 2020. That's projected to go up to about 70% by 2050. And when you're in a city, you just have more access to eating out. Um, people are entering the middle class, more women are working, all those people are traveling um, more, there's more tourism, and all those things um, drive eating out and eating in restaurants. So while we think the whole food market will grow, probably about 4 to 5% a year, um, the the food service market will grow a little faster, probably 7 or 8% a year, um, but both are very exciting numbers. So through your lens, one of the biggest problems uh, that we have, at least here in the U.S., it might be um, different globally from, from where you sit, but labor. Uh, when we look at a lot of food service operations, they are struggling to hire people. So with this, with this anticipated growth, what comes next? Are we going to have these you know, robots and AI taking over our food service operations? Yeah, no, it's it's really on a, certainly a huge problem in the U.S. and Europe. And and while we first may have thought that that would go away once the pandemic ended, it hasn't gone away. Um, and even beyond the U.S. and Europe, labor is a big issue. Um, I think we'll have to innovate for great service in food service, and that could be innovate in you know with robots. We're seeing more and more of that but also in the products that chefs use. Um, so our Unilever food solutions business is really about solutions for those chefs who don't have a you know huge brigade back in the kitchen because they just can't find the people. Um, and I love some of the NOR products that, that our Unilever food solutions business has recently come out with. Um, there's artisanal potato flakes that make a wonderful mashed potato. You know, Usually then you have to make mashed potatoes in the back takes about 30 minutes and it takes someone who knows what they're doing. These nor mashed potatoes take three minutes. Anyone can do it and you get a delicious and consistent quality. We have a similar solution for a hollandaise sauce, um, a similar solution for demi-gloss. And these are really important solutions because people are struggling to find flavor, as you say. 
So when we when we take a look, and it's interesting because it, it wasn't something I thought about. Um, what you're really doing is focusing on you know how to make that back room operation more efficient, um, hopefully more delicious. I've, I've got to admit that I am a uh, a huge fan of Nor products. I buy them, I consume them, I love them. Um, so you know what we're going to see is a lot more innovation from your end uh, to help these food service operations. Absolutely, and thank you for your um, fan fandom of Nor. Um, but there's many chefs around the world who are big fans of Nor. It's probably the, the biggest brand um, back of house. And indeed, that's what we're focused on. We're, we're you know we employ uh, more than 200 chefs ourselves. They're in touch with thousands of chefs around the world every day. And really, we're we're trying to do so much more than just selling products. We're trying to figure out what are their needs in the back of the house, what are their issues. Labor is definitely at the top of the list. And how can we help them with both products and services? So when I when I take a look and you're talking about the chefs, I know you've just uh, published a top eight global menu trends. Um, have them in, in front of me. I haven't gone through all of uh, the deck yet of, of what you have, but you really done a deep dive on the expertise of over 1600 chefs from around the world. Um, so the, the global menu trends, and I'd like you to comment on a couple of them, but the first one is irresistible vegetables, second, modernized comfort food, third, low waste menus. Waste is a clearly a, a major issue for all of us on the planet. Wild and pure flavor contrast, feel good food, the new sharing and mindful proteins. Um, of these eight global menu trends, what are your two favorite ones that, that we should talk about? Well, it's hard to pick, um, but um, I think Irresistible Bench is is huge. Um, Low-waste menus is super important, and I'm a personal fan of modern comfort food, so um, those would be my top three picks. So when we look at uh, irresistible vegetables, you're talking a lot more than just plant-based. Yeah, absolutely. When people say plant-based, often they only think about plant-based meat, which obviously is is one element of, of the plant-based movement. But there is so much more to vegetables uh, and plants. So you don't necessarily have to have a plant-based burger um, because there's so many delicious recipes that are really just from plants. So I'm just gonna look at the trends report. But you know, the, the first recipe in that trends report is a carrots four wave with with moly chucks. That is just plants, but it is absolutely delicious and you know five-star restaurant worthy. So um, we love cooking with plants. The world needs us, certainly us Americans and us Europeans, to eat a little bit more plants and a little bit less meat. You know, one-third of all greenhouse gas emissions come from the food system, and within that one-third, more than half is from cows. We're not asking everyone to become a vegetarian, but we would do the planet's health, but also our own health, would benefit if we just ate a little less meat and a little bit more plants. So many, I would say most consumers around the world actually recognize that. They want to eat more plants, but they often don't know how. You know, how how, how do you cook all those recipes that you've cooked forever? Um, and that's both chefs and consumers. 
with plants. And that's what we're trying to help both chefs and also consumers with, with these uh, types of recipes. Well, I think this approach um, is, is the correct one because when I take a look at the tens of millions of dollars that have been, in my opinion, wasted with these promotions that say, you know, eat five uh, fruits and vegetables a day or nine fruits and vegetables a day, we haven't been able to raise consumption. And I think yeah. for exactly the reason that you stated, you know, yes, people want to eat more plants, but they don't know what to do with them. And just giving them a number uh, saying, you know, eat more uh, doesn't solve the problem, but giving them recipes uh, such as you're describing does make the difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, we're seeing that both both with chefs. So the rest, the recipe I just referred to is really meant for chefs and back of house restaurants, but we're seeing it with consumers as well. You know, when you help consumers and again, nor does this really well, you know, spaghetti bolognese is one of the top dishes in, in Europe and the U.S. that people cook at home. When you help them with some alternatives, you do the bolognese, you always do. But instead of minced meat, you either use um, a plant-based minced meat, probably, you know, from our brand, the vegetarian butcher, or another brand, or you use lentils instead. And, you know, that you actually make a delicious bolognese the same way you've always made it. But you've swapped out one evening where you don't eat meat. And, and that's what we're really trying to drive. Um, and we try to drive that in our products as well. You know, we, we sell a lot of chicken stock, for example, but we're really focused also now on vegetable stock, um, which is also delicious. And again, doesn't require me to cook any different. Um, when I make the dishes that I usually use chicken stock for, I now use veggie stock. So that's the way we're trying to nudge people to eat a little bit more plants and do the same for chefs. So we've got a problem with plants, though, at least here in California, uh, because it's been raining since, you know, the middle of December. Uh, it continues to, to have bad weather in a lot of the crops, especially when we look at leafy greens or other crops that come from California exclusively, like almonds, um, are being destroyed by the weather. So from a global standpoint, you know, how how will Unilever and, you know, all all the brands that you've got deal with the potential shortages that we have uh, because of, of climate change? Yeah, so I'm so happy you asked the question because I think this is one of the biggest challenges that big food companies have to address right now. The outlook because of climate change for many key crops is not good. Um, you know, National Geographic just came out with some numbers that say um, by 2050 we'll have 23% fewer soybeans, 3% less wheat, and much less of a whole bunch of other crops because of floods and droughts caused by climate change. Now, what does that mean for us at Unilever? We really believe it means we have to farm our ingredients differently. Um, we call that regenerative agriculture or regenerative farming. And it's really going back to the way our grandparents farmed. Um, it's crop rotation. It's cover cropping, not leaving your land um, uncovered. It's not plowing, so no-till farming. It's using fewer fertilizers. When you do that, your soil is healthier on your farm. And when there is a flood or a drought, your crops are more resilient. We're seeing it work. Um, we're working with 10% of all soybean farmers in Iowa. We've been working with them for five years on these regenerative practices. 
And we're seeing that the crops of the farmers who are using these practices are more resilient. We're seeing the same on tomatoes in Spain. We're seeing the same on rice in Arkansas and in Italy. Um, we have a 1 billion euro climate and nature fund at Unilever, um, of which we'll spend a whole bunch on supporting farmers in the transition to regenerative agriculture. Because again, I'm so glad you asked because this is one of the biggest challenges and honestly a threat to food security for the years ahead. It is. And, you know, if we take a look here in, here in the U.S., uh, probably the, the biggest impact that we've seen is the price of eggs. Now, I know in, in certain, a lot of products like Hellman's, you know, eggs are a major ingredient. Um, and, you know, with, with bird flu, um, which continues uh, to be a problem, um, you know, the price of eggs are $7 a dozen. And for the 30 plus million people who are on food assistance programs, uh, they can't afford eggs, which is their primary source of protein. So, you know, I applaud what you're doing in, in helping the farmers and in trying to make our farming, uh, whether it's animal farming, uh, poultry or, or plant, um, much more efficient and working with these farmers because frankly, they need the help, they need the technology that a company like Unilever can help them with. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, your point on eggs is very well taken. Um, at our um, Hellman's plant in Chicago, we use a million eggs a day. Wow. So very well aware of what's happening in eggs. Um, and I spent uh, I spent time actually last week with our, with the, the farmers of Roseacre Farms, which is the second biggest egg supplier in the United States, they have zillions of chickens. And it's a huge concern. And it, it brings up some interesting discussions because, you know, we've, we've, we're very committed to cage-free eggs. So Hellman's only uses cage-free eggs. But with the bird flu, actually having your birds in cages may be better because they're less susceptible to bird flu. So it, it really brings up some, some, you know, interesting dilemmas that we'll have to solve together as a whole value chain in food. Um, but if anything, it's a very interesting time to work in food. It is, there's no question. Well, so if we pull back and you look in your crystal ball, uh, what are some of the macroeconomic trends uh, that are shaping and impacting um, the global food service industry as well as retail. Yeah. Um, so I think the, the big trends you will know, right? Um, people want to eat healthier. Uh, people are more conscious about what they eat. So they do think of the environment, although they don't always want to pay more for that. Um, people still want to indulge every once in a while, um, and we need to help them indulge. Um, and finally, of course, it's everything digital. Um, so the way we, um, the order we eat is so different from even three, four years ago. So we'd say those are the big mega trends. Um, those are all great because they're good for the market. They will grow the market. I think at the same time, what we have to keep in mind in food is that there's some huge challenges in the food system. And you touched on some of them, but a third of all greenhouse gases in the world come from the food system. We throw away a third of all the food that is produced in the world, which is an absolute crime. And then we still have a billion people who are hungry and two billion people who are overweight or obese. So 
as a big foods manufacturer, we really have a responsibility to act on the trends and to grow our business, but also to be part of the solution. And that's why we have these commitments in plant-based eating, which helps on greenhouse gases, in reducing waste, and in regenerative agriculture, all really, really important. Well, my, my homework um, over the weekend is gonna be to read thoroughly the top eight global menu trends that you've got. And I applaud what you're doing, and I thank you for joining us today on Lost in the Supermarket. Well, thank you so much, Phil. This was really insightful and fun.